Up until last month, the future of a not-so-cuddly creature was uncertain. It's that giant inflatable rodent used at union protests for more than 30 years now. You know, the one resting on its hind legs with its elongated incisors and scraggly claws. Sometimes it can be as high as 25 feet tall. The scoundrel in question is affectionately, or not, known as Scabby the Rat. In 2018, a complaint was filed with the National Labor Relations Board that had the potential to put an end to Scabby at certain protests. It was claimed that the de facto mascot of union labor protests could be considered confrontational, frightening, and coercive. But in late July, the NLRB squashed the complaint, finding that the use of Scabby that was objected to was fine and was protected by the First Amendment as free speech. And so Scabby lives on to peer over another protest. But did you know that Scabby was born right here in Chicago? Until a few years ago, we didn't either. I'm Curious City digital and engagement producer Maggie Civet, and today on the show, we go back to a question reporter Max Green helped us answer about the rat and its origins. Then we seek out the origins of another sort. Reporter Monica Eng unravels the history of a popular name used by numerous ice cream shops across the city. That's coming up. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Max Green. I'm at a construction site in Bridgeview, Illinois, about 15 miles southwest of Chicago. About a dozen union guys are standing around with picket signs. They're not paying the area standard wages and and benefits. We're out here with with pickets protesting that. That's Mike Lowry. Secretary Treasurer of the Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers District Council. The picket seems to be going well. Passersby slow down and take a look. Drivers honk their horns. The workers are getting attention. Especially this one guy here who looks a bit menacing. He's taller than the rest. His skin looks awful. He's kind of got these claws. That's Scabby the Rat. Uh, He's a 12-foot inflatable balloon. Scabby the Rat is a sickly yellow color with beady red eyes, a long tail, and festering sores on his stomach. Sounds kind of hard to miss, right? Curious citizen Philip Williams thought so. I'm a mortgage banker, so I drive around town a lot for my job. And um, that's how I started noticing the rat. These rat balloons appear on picket lines all over the country. The spectacle helps the union to get attention and pressures the company to meet workers' demands. Philip says he plays card games, and the idea of a union bringing out Scabby to pressure an employer reminds him of playing a trump card. I always think of it as Booyah, the rat, because it just shows up out of nowhere. Which got him wondering... How did giant inflatable rat balloons become a part of union strikes all over the world? As it turns out, Scabby started right here, in Chicago, a city with a lot of union history and pride. To help answer Philip's question, I tracked down the inventor of the world's first Scabby the Rat Balloon, 
a guy named Ken Lambert. Lambert's in his 60s, has a goatee, and has been a self-described union junkie for decades. Lambert says the idea for the rat balloon all started after a tough day on a picket in Chicago's north suburbs. He thinks it was late 1989 or early 1990, and he remembers leaving the protest feeling bummed. I'm thinking, man, we're not getting anything here. This is not working. Despite their signs and spending the whole afternoon making noise, people were not taking notice. So I'm driving back home. It's 5.30 on 294. I don't know what's going on, but it's bumper to bumper. We're going two miles an hour, if that. Then Lambert looks up and sees a sign from above, literally a billboard for a company in Plainfield, Illinois, called Big Sky Balloons. He remembers a big pink inflatable gorilla pictured on the ad. I look, I says, man, I wonder if they have a rat. (laughs) So I call him up. Lambert says he immediately thought of a rat because he knew it had been used as a union symbol for a long time. For most people, the term rat sounds like mafia parlance, referring to an informer, someone who's secretly working with the opposition. But for unions, a rat usually means an employer who's using non-union labor. And a scab is a person who crosses picket lines to work after the union as a whole agrees not to do that. So, scabby the rat. You get it. So Lambert's driving and he calls up the balloon makers, right then and there, in the middle of traffic, using a clunky 90s precursor to a cell phone. I says, do you guys have a rat? He goes, what? A rat, an inflatable rat. Like, you know, he goes, no. I says, I got another question. Can you make one? Of course we can. Peggy O'Connor co-owns and helps run Big Sky Balloons in Plainfield. When Lambert called, it was her husband, Mike, who answered the phone. I remember him saying, there's a guy who wants a rat balloon, and he wants it really ugly with big, big, ugly teeth. Okay, (laughs) you're the designer. So the balloon makers were game. Lambert hangs up with them and immediately calls his good buddy and fellow labor organizer Don Newton. And Ken credits his friend with helping bring the balloon to life. The two of them started to spitball ideas. At first, they thought big. A blimp. One they could float above job sites where they'd be picketing. And they call Big Sky Balloons to tell them that idea. He said, well, that'll cost you huge money. That's about 20 grand. Way too expensive. They scaled down their idea. A big inflatable rat. The guy at the balloon company sends over a drawing. And it's, well, it's a cute rat. And it showed a rat on kind of a ball. I'm like, no, that ain't going to work. Back to the drawing board. We were making drawings of rats, getting pictures of rats. Had the uh, alley stickers from the city of Chicago with, you know, rat poisons out. (laughs) This went on for a couple of weeks, maybe two, three weeks. Finally, they came up with a design that worked for everyone. It cost $1,200 to make, the union agrees to buy it, and Big Sky Balloons gets to work making it. One day he called the office and he says, your rat's ready, come get it. And the next day, Scabby went to work at a picket at the University of Chicago. And right away, the rat seemed to get the job done. The boss was standing there, and he is shaking his head. He's hot. He's upset. They were not pleased. Scabby was getting people riled up, and that was the goal. But Lambert says he knew it was going to be a real success when... A woman came up with her three kids, and she goes, Can we get our picture taken? I says, Absolutely. <laughs> Lambert says for the next couple of years, everywhere Scabby went, he drew more and more attention first around the Midwest, then around the country. Scabby's popped up in New York, Washington, D.C., Minnesota. 
The humble rat balloon that started out here in Chicago has also jumped across oceans to the UK, Australia, China, and the Philippines, just to name a few. And he's gone on a lot of adventures. One time, Scabby the rat was stabbed. Yeah, someone actually got so angry they knifed the balloon. He's been arrested. Well, more like confiscated, but the guys who were with him got arrested. Scabby's been sued a number of times and taken to the Supreme Court. Most recently, he's become a weapon of sorts in a balloon arms race in New York, pitted against management's inflatable cat. Still, for all the attention the balloon gets, it's hard to measure quantitatively how effective Scabby is at pressuring employers to cave and give unions what they want. But our questioner, Philip, says it seems effective. Anytime he sees a rat balloon, he stops and considers the fact that right there, on a street corner in Chicago, people are battling for fair treatment. It's almost like uh, score one for the little guy, because there are times when workers need to tell everybody that things aren't going right. Lambert, the guy who came up with the idea for the first balloon, isn't sure himself how effective Scabby is at getting management to meet union demands. But he says the important thing is what the rat does for people on the picket line, even now, years after Scabby's debut. Strikes are all about endurance, and when Scabby's out, people take more notice. They tend to honk and wave more often, and that can mean a lot for morale and for the cause. In a way, it's humbling to see it. You know, yeah, all right, you know, put up your fist, don't back down. Thanks to Max Green for bringing us that story about Scabby the Rat. Next, reporter Monica Eng sets out to answer a question about the lineage of a name that can be found in numerous ice cream shops around the city. That's coming up. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Curious City reporter Monica Eng. On a recent hot summer night, I met up with question asker Emily Wiesman at La Michoacana Ice Cream Shop in Old Irving Park. As we waited in line with our masks on, Emily looked over the colorful ice cream bars called paletas. Tamarind, guava, piñon, queso. Oh, that's interesting. Recently, Emily's noticed Mexican ice cream shops with the name La Michoacana opening all over the Chicago area. And that got her wondering. Why are there so many ice cream shops with La Michoacana in the name? I know that Michoacana is a state in Mexico, but what does that have to do with ice cream? It's a great question. Because Chicago's got dozens of ice cream shops with the Michoacana name, but different owners, different offerings, and different prices. And to understand these differences, you have to go back about 80 years to Mexico. That's when some guys from a small town called Tocumbo in the state of Michoacan started making popsicles from local ingredients. And when one of them left for the big city to make his fortune, he took the idea for popsicles with him. Author Sam Quinones detailed the story in his book, True Tales from Another Mexico. 
one guy kind of thrown out of his house, didn't get along with his father, goes to Mexico City and there starts his own popsicle shop. That guy was Ignacio Alcazar. As time goes on, he begins to hire people that he knew back home, the only people he really trusts. They begin a long trek out of Tocumbo to Mexico City where they learn the popsicle trade. Quinones says after about a year of training, those guys could set up their own shops. And the recipes and techniques aren't the only thing these trainees took with them. Everybody begins to imitate. They all take the same kinds of names. They start off with Paleteria La Michoacana uh, because they're all from Michoacan. But the idea is always the same. And that idea is to use their friend's business model and sometimes even a loan from him to start their own low-cost popsicle shop called a paleteria, which these guys did all across Mexico. By the 80s, paletas made their way to the U.S., mostly sold from rolling carts. But when two brothers started something called Paleteria La Michoacana in California, it led to a 2007 lawsuit. See, the niece of one of the original Tocumbo guys started a Michoacana ice cream business in Mexico, and she registered the logo and name with the patent office there. And so they wanted to say that they are the only company that can use the name. That was journalist Serena Maria Daniels. She wrote about the La Michoacana lawsuits in 2019 for Eater. So how did all those lawsuits turn out? The last time I checked, there was still ongoing litigation back and forth. And so the jury's still out on that, so to speak. So in the meantime, you'll still see plenty of shops in Chicago and across the country using names like La Michoacana Classic and La Michoacana Premium. That last one started in West Suburban Aurora and now has 50 shops in the U.S. They also say they have direct ties to the guys from Tocumbo, who made it big with ice cream bars and wanted to make it pretty easy for others to do the same. When I bring all this back to question asker Emily, she says it totally makes sense that some Michoacana shops are connected, but mostly the name is just a signifier for a certain type of ice cream shop. Before we finish our strawberry and blackberry paletas, I ask Emily about some of the things that got her through the pandemic. Oh, maybe ice cream. (laughs) Reporting for this story came from Monica Ang. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. The show is produced by Joe Dassault and edited by Alexandra Solomon. Sophia Lowe is our intern. I'm Maggie Civet, Curious City's digital and engagement producer. Thanks for listening. Before we start the show... We here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.